Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Today, we have Lucy Hitz, the Director of Content at Ally. Lucy, we're so excited to have you on. Welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you for joining us. First off, I'd love to hear what Ally is and your journey into the role that you're now currently in. Not sure how far back you want me to take it, but I I sort of landed in SaaS by accident back in 2013. <laughs> I had gone to an MFA program in writing and previous to that had worked in publishing, which, you know, had definitely a growing curve during the recession and having to adapt to the digital environment. Um, And then I moved to Seattle to be with my now husband. And I applied for two jobs. And one job was at PitchBook, which was um, another Seattle area financial SaaS. And then one was Simply Measured, which is a social analytics, social media analytics SaaS company. And I got both jobs as a copywriter. And I think I chose the Simply Measured job because it had social media involved with it, which sounded fun and cool at the time. So that'll tell you, you know, where my career mindset was at that time. Um, <laughs> but it was the best decision I ever made. I I learned so much. And my the person who hired me, Kevin Shively, is now my boss at, at Ally. So I think everything, it all comes around. And for me, that's such a lesson. And, you know, you, you do the work and you build the relationships as you go along and kind of the rest will come if you're willing to work hard in that initial phase of your career. But yeah, so I started as a copywriter, built our blog and our content program there, worked up to lead all marketing comms there. And then we got acquired by Sprout Social, which was a big move. Um, And so kind of managed that process and moved over to the lead, more lead gen side of things at, at Sprout, um, then moved over to customer marketing at Sprout and built out the growth motion for current customers. And then I uh, had a baby and then congratulations, I, Congrats. You. Uh, and then I, it's really hard to know for a lot of folks, I think, If you're someone who can do a lot of things and likes doing a lot of things, it's hard to narrow your focus on where do I want to go? But what is my, what do I like wake up loving to do every day? Like, what is the thing that when I'm doing it, I have a little smile on my face, sending that Slack message or whatever it is. And for me, you know, I, I kept thinking the thing I love and just is my natural talent is content. I just love the act of like listening to what people need and then delivering to them the exact piece of content or information or experience that either delights them or, you know, pushes them in the direction us as a business wants to take them. So I started talking to Kevin. Kevin reached out and said, hey, do you know anyone who is just um, in the market for a job and content? Um, we have this director of content open, opening and <laughs> we started having the conversation. And, you know, I'm sure both of you have experienced when you know you work really well with someone and you trust them and you know they'll have your back no matter what happens and you know you can kind of ideate off each other and have that creative relationship that's a good thing and it's rare and then i knew that ally had a really strong growth trajectory and that what we do which is 
equip businesses to set goals, manage them, and have all employees understand, you know, the larger why has never been more in need than it is now. So I think the combination of all of that brought me to where I am at Ally. And then we got acquired by Microsoft within a few months of landing. So I know. How fascinating is it to go through an acquisition process with a new organization having already sort of been a part of an acquisition? Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. It is a wild ride. And and y'all were recently acquired too. So, you know, you you understand the, yes. yeah, the it journey like- it is. <laughs> Yeah, we're yeah. still sort of merging calendars and getting our bearings about where where yeah. we are as employees of Brandfolder, but also in the larger sense, employees of Smartsheet, which is the company that uh, acquired us. Yeah. It, it is fascinating. Do you feel like, uh, where on the timetable are you? Are you sort of in the beginning or when did the acquisition take place? We knew internally. And then I think the announced date was just a couple of weeks ago, the oh, external wow. announced date. I mean, I never understood when I went through my first acquisition when Sprout acquired us, people more advanced in their careers would tell me, you know, this is like a career moment for you, not just in, you know, the up, any financial upside or anything like that, but also in this experience of just going through this. And I didn't really understand what they meant by that. But now I know that what it teaches you is the ability to be ambitious, like think forward, but also have to be incredibly present, like radically present because you just <laughs> don't know what even tomorrow may hold. Of course, every acquisition is different, but. Right. But I love that term. I love being radically present because it's, it's staying yeah. focused on the work in front of you and not too. Cause I, I think it's a lot. Uh, yeah. It's like you said, it's a ton of unknowns. It's a ton of like you know, all of this content or all of this work that we have on our slate or in our projections could change tomorrow based on a decision that maybe we're not privy to. (laughs) Right. And when you're very, like, I'm a very get shit done kind of person. Don't know if we can curse on here. but yeah. (laughs) You're um, good. (laughs) Just put it in the brand folder. I'm very uncomfortable. It does not come naturally to me to say, okay, we have to wait for, you know, the strategic direction we need so that then we can make the choices that we need to make to do X. I really want to, you know, like get good work done fast. And so it's been a huge learning curve in my career, just generally to have to say, let's press pause. Let's take a breath. Let's bring everyone along for the ride. Let's have all the conversations we need to have. Um, and this is just beyond even acquisitions, but just generally in in the in the content creation, ideation, strategy world. So I think, you know, I think some folks are on the other side of that coin where it's like very thoughtful ideation, really need a lot of time to simmer. And that can then sometimes get in the way of the, okay, well, now we just need to execute and you know get this out the door. But I'm definitely on the, the other side of that equation. So it's it's challenging in that way and it's taught me a lot. It feels like that's that's such a big lesson. And I'm wondering if you have any reflections on it. I think what often gets in the way of being radically present in work life, in personal life, in all life, which is now just one blurred kind of concoction at this point. Yes. Is I I think there's often the sense like I have to prove myself. Like I am not worthy just for being who I am 
as a human, you know, as like just not to get too, um, you know, big picture here. But I think so then you start thinking it's like this grasping to use that kind of Buddhist term. It's like you start thinking, okay, well, I've got to prove my worth. Like I've got what do I have to do to, you know, make sure I'm being valuable and valued like. um, And then I think that is what for me often spins me away from presence. And of course, the irony is that then you don't do your best work because you're not truly being present, open, receptive to what's going on, what you're hearing and the conversations happening around you. So identifying when that's happening for me is really, it's like the first step. And sometimes that's all I can do. Sometimes I am so, you know, like anxious about what's happening or just in a state where I, I, I'm really finding hard to be radically present with being able to identify and say, okay, this is what you're feeling now. And let's bring it back to what's actually going on. Yeah. I just wanted to bring it back to Ally and the acquisition by Microsoft and the relationship between the customer and your content that you're writing um, and how, mm-hmm. how conscious you are of your customer right now as you're in this process of being acquired. Yeah. It's this really interesting place because a huge part of why we're being why we've been acquired is because we put goals at the center of the employee experience. So, you know, when you think about the current work climate, what's going to make an employee feel valued, feel like when they open their laptop every day, you know, they're connected to the mission of the organization and they feel like they're making an impact it's understanding how what they're doing relates to the how the organization is doing and how their team is doing. And so I think we're both trying to tell this story from a brand perspective and a content perspective. And we're also trying to, so that when we you know ramp up and really are fully a part of Microsoft, it makes sense. And we're also trying to drive demand and, and keep our customers satisfied and engaged now. So that's the challenge. Um, and that's what we're thinking through in everything we create. So we have this goals together campaign going on right now, and that's across social and an email to our customers and lead base, um, where we're you know running a contest and asking folks to engage and share how they hit goals together and shout out their team members and win a team dinner, either remote or in person. Um, and we're asking our own employees to engage on social. And that's been actually really fun and successful, specifically around using OKRs. Um, but I think we're trying to tell the story around goals as underpinning um, a healthy and happy team. Can you talk to me a little bit about the empathy in your work and how that message kind of permeates your philosophy? Yeah. So I think... When I came on board to Ally, we had seen so much growth so quickly. And what then often happens is a lot of content is being produced very quickly. And there's this level set moment that needs to happen where we take a step back and say, okay, who's reading these? Who's reading this? Who's downloading this? Who's consuming this? Who's our our audience? Like, truly. Um, And 
So as an example of I think knowing your audience and putting your audience first and, and, and thinking through that empathy piece is like our audience, our buyer, and really the person, a lot of our, okay, our champions, as we call them, aka the person going into the leadership team and saying, we need ally, we need an OKR solution, we need a goal setting solution that can be used by our entire company. Truly, we're talking like CEOs, you know, like CTOs, uh, chiefs of staff, like people really at the very top of the organization. So these are folks that, you know, conversational tone is is good and, and can work. But to a point, it also needs <laughs> to be pretty professional, pretty data driven, you know, like like citing Gartner Research and citing the you know, Harvard Business Review and citing the publications that these folks read, read and trust. Um, and so I think a lot of the work to be done is making sure that that's a lens that that is there throughout all of our content where we're kind of that partner um, that can be trusted for content that both, um, you know, teaches you how to set up a successful OKR program and goal setting methodology throughout your organization, but also um, teaches you how to be a better leader, teaches you how having a strong and transparent OKR structure organization creates a better leadership team. Um, I think that voice and, and that balance is really important. It's something that we try to think through in whatever we write and whatever we create. Yeah, it seems, I mean, it's important for every company to really understand the audience and their clientele. Um, but even more so to think about how that messaging is going to even affect. It feels like with that high level messaging, it's almost, uh, it's like paramount to make it uh, substantiated and effective and short enough to where they can consume it so fast. <laughs> you know, like it's like everything is almost more, because uh, I, I mean, I'm naive. I didn't know about Ally prior to us having a conversation and learning about it makes me go like, oh, I, I would never be served up this information <laughs> and they would never be like, here you go. Yeah. Um, what types of channels and, and how do you, if you feel at will to talk about yeah. the pathways that you choose to reach these sort of higher level executives and these. Yeah. It's interesting because coming from an environment, you know, where our, for the last God knows how ever many years, my target audience has been digital and social media marketers. And so when you're talking about, you know, that, short, like need, really needing short consumable bits and kind of really moving culturally at a very fast pace of like what's cool now versus what was cool yesterday. Um, that was certainly true for that audience. And now for this audience, I feel that there is much more of a acceptance and even desire for chunkier, deeper, long form content and, you know, long, but very thorough, blog articles that really share the theory and then the practice behind something because the folks we want to be reading this tend to be the ones who are making these major strategic decisions where they're going to bring in like sometimes hundreds of people into this product and roll up something out organization wide. And so it's interesting because I think there is a greater, um, capacity for that or taste for that longer content, which in some ways seems 
kind of old fashioned. Almost. Right. It's like it it it's comforting to have it be so thorough and researched. Right. Because the, the the authority has to be there. And I think that's also a key piece. You know, this line item, we really are an enterprise level solution. Um, and so this line item, you know, with some companies I've worked for in the past, like the line item is not so significant that, you know, your CFO is going to be like, what? <laughs> like, you know, whereas this might be a line, line item that is pricey and, um, and also permeates so a lot, everyone in your organization. And so you're going to need to be super thoughtful about what solution you bring on board and, and how you, and how you're going to roll it out and really have all that nailed down before you maybe, you know, sign. So I think that's true. I think just to get back to your original question of what channels are we really working right now? I think it's LinkedIn organic because we know that's where professionals and leaders go to get their information and to get their wheels turning about both ideas and also the how-tos. Um, I think also LinkedIn paid, we're doing a lot there with going after specific personas that we know, you know, are important to us and, and getting very specific based on each persona about the language and value that we're trying to drive at, like literally totally new copy for each different persona that we're targeting. What's your, um, just to interject quickly, what's your take on persona yeah. on that word? I know that that's, we've talked about persona a few times on this podcast and I feel like every marketer has a very specific relationship with the word persona. I mean, I kind of think it's like, what do you like? You call persona, you can call it your target audience. You can call it your segment. You can call it, I don't know. It, you know, it's, it's who you're speaking to, right? It's, it's, it's who you're speaking to. And, you know, sometimes personas can be very broad. Like it's like, who's in charge of strategy or organization, but sometimes they're very specific, like chief of staff. Like that's the title that this person needs to hold for us to say, decide they have these characteristics, likely to have these characteristics right. and thus likely to go after these, likely to be receptive to these types of messaging. I, I do think, and just one more thing on the knowing your audience, a lot of times we assume we know our audience because we think, yeah, I do that training when I first onboarded and, you know, like, I get the vibe, like they're sort of, we're going after these kinds of people and they like these kinds of things. And so I get it. But especially now, you know, your persona is con in constant evolution because people are in constant evolution. Ooh, what they're absorbing like every that. day digitally is totally different all the time. Their pain points, you know, their challenges. Like, so I think it's really important to stay current and build into your rituals, really understanding your audience, really understanding your buyer and your customer today. And I, you know, how I like to do that is scheduling out time to listen to gong calls, um, during at some point in the month and, and truly listening, just spending time listening literally to the voice of our customer say, here's where I'm still struggling with the product or with OKRs or with my team, you know, um, here's the questions I'm getting. 
I just think it makes the biggest difference in the world. I, I think it allows you to really absorb the customer voice so that when you're writing the email copy or you're writing the social copy or you're planning out the campaign or you're planning out your 22, 22 content strategy, you're dealing with what is versus what was or what you think is. And yeah, it's almost um, like you're getting a more, forgive the term, I don't know if it's charged or not, but like a more holistic take on on the person rather than just kind of like, a, oh, you're 35 to 50, you know, enjoys the outdoors. Right. I'm, I'm describing a dating, dating site. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same, same, same. Um, but isn't it always what we're trying to do? Date a new company as a, you know, I'm, yes, I, you court them off the rails. <laughs> but in a way, you do court them. And when you connect with them on the email at once, you want to be bringing that humanness, I yeah. think, is a piece that I connect with you on that for Lucy. That's yeah. one of the things that I look for when I'm a consumer wanting to connect with the company, I'm like, Oh, you definitely got me that with that ad or yeah. your storyline, what you're doing for the world. Yeah. And I think the specificity too is important. And you're only going to get that by listening to customers and, you know, whether yes. you're fielding a survey with customers or with leads or listening in on calls or going to a conference or whatever that looks like for you, you know, if I write you an email that says, um, you know, subject line, um, you started a new podcast, like, how's it going? That's actually pretty good. Actually, now that I said that, that. was, that's pretty but, good. Yeah. yeah. But that was supposed to be my, my I'd negative be example. That's supposed to be a negative example. I would open um, that email. Click yes. <laughs> <laughs> Click rate. <laughs> that was my bad example. Versus your podcast targets content creators. Are you actually making your the mark or something? Now, like just the specificity there is like you're like, yes, content professional. I mean, I I don't know if that's specifically who you're going after, but insert right. target audience there, right? Like you're like, yes, that is who I'm going after. So in this swell of emails you receive every day, maybe that one stands out. And I think the only way into that is by listening on a regular basis. And also if you can having really good email segmentation, which is very challenging for all marketers, but yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that pain. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, can we shift a little bit and bring in a little bit of your personal life and how in the midst of all of this being radically present, you're also a new mom and a dog mom. And live in New York More City, important. which has its own sort of space space challenges, I would think. And I feel like all of those are going to intersect with your career in some way, especially in this new way that we're all working. Yeah, it is a wild ride. I will say, <laughs> I'm saying that, that's like my... The emotions yeah. just washed over. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you see, I've been to war. You see the, the stain on my face. Um, no, it's going great. I think we're lucky. We live in New York and we have an apartment, which at first you might think is like, wow, that's a recipe for disaster with both people working from home and a baby and a dog, but it's a very large apartment. We're very lucky. So 
you know, there is a capacity for me and my husband to be working in different rooms and, you know, um, we're lucky my mom watches our kid twice a week and the other three days a week he's in daycare. So he's off premises and, you know, the other two days a week, my mom's kind of puttering around with him, which I actually love because between meetings, I can like go get a little snuggle break and then come back. Um, but I think what I worried the most about when I had Clark was how do I remain radically present when I'm with him and when I'm not with him, when I'm working, I'm working, you know, like how, how do those boundaries work? And I want to make sure that in the past, it's been really hard for me. I'll be doing, let's say at a dinner with my husband and in my head, I'm, I'm thinking about work stuff and I'm thinking about, I'm like running the tape. Um, and I was worried that, you know, when I had a kid that would still remain true. But I think for me, what has happened is that it has given me better focus and ability to be present than ever before. It almost feels like a superpower that I gained that I didn't have before. Like I can accomplish so much in a limited amount of time. It's almost like enforced time boxing because for me, it's like I grind hard from like 9am until 5pm. Like I don't, you know, I take a very short lunch break, but I am working. And my motivation there is that at 5 p.m., I am done. Like the laptop closes. I don't have messaging notifications on my phone. I have the app in case I need to, you know, want to check on something. But I really try not to do that. Of course, if there's a very important meeting I need to go to late, especially because my like a lot of my team is on Pacific time, of course, I will do that. But I, in terms of work, at 5 p.m., I really try to be done and then I'm with him. I don't know if it's a survival mechanism or what it is, but I've, it's been pretty successful up until now. And I think that just having for me and everyone's, and I also want to caveat, everyone's experience is totally different with this. And for me, it's just been like a, a huge reshuffle in my priorities of like, yes, I want to do the best work I can. Yes. I want to, you know, be a good leader and, and, and build good relationships and all of that. But my, the most important relationship in, in my life is with my son and my husband. I love that. And it feels like work is sort of steering in that direction. At least from my perspective, it feels like more people are becoming empathetic to people's personal stories. And we have these yeah. little windows into our lives now. What you were saying reminded me of people that have more responsibility often get more done because it sort of forces your hand to be efficient and to sort of take on what you can take on and be okay saving something for the next day. Cause it's, I don't know, it's inspiring. It's cool to hear. I recently got married and I feel like it's made me just a better person all around, like both in work and my personal life. Yeah. It's just cool to hear. It's forced prioritization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's really is not, and not to bring you back to what Ally does in OKR process generally, but OKR since projectives. Back. Thank you, But it forces you to be like, we could do so many things, right? We could do so many things, but what do we need to do? Like, what do we need to do to be happy in our personal life? Like, what are the things? So like, let's say my objective is like, have a healthy, happy home life in Q4 2021. You know, like one of my key results is going to be 
close laptop at 5 p.m. Or, you know, like go out to at least four date nights or whatever those things are going to be. But I think the same thing is true for in businesses. Cause it's like, we've all been in those rooms where people, everyone, one person's like, we should do this. And the person's like, we should do this. And the other person's like, we should do this. And instead of it then becoming a system where the person, one person at the top says, okay, now we're going to do this. How do we build a system in which Yes, of course, leadership understands what the business needs are. So there's going to be those top-down, larger objectives we need to hit. But how does everyone get involved in choosing, okay, then how does what I do and the goals I set for myself lead to like ladder up there? And then how do we build a culture where that is so open and so collaborative that the folks in leadership who are saying, this is what our business needs to you know, succeed to grow. There can be pushback from all employees where it's like, okay, we hear you. We know that's where we need to go, but we don't think actually this is the way to get there. We think actually this is the way to get there. And that can be a dialogue, right? Like to me, that's the ideal state of an organization. It's like the ruthless prioritization and then also the that collaborative piece. Yeah. I mean, it's just be so healthy work environment where there is a dialogue and there is a communication that uh, someone maybe below you might have a great idea and there's not fear or there's not, you know, hesitation in order to bring it up because of some sort of unhealthy power structure or some sort of, um, you know, because everybody ultimately should be striving for a similar goal and that goal should be reinforced through your, you know, all hands or your team meetings or, you know, what have you. But I do. I, I love. I love what you're saying. I love bringing it to the OKR. Um, yeah, yeah. But also, <laughs> also, like I think, how do you build the rituals? Like I think for all of these things, there's like, you know, we all want these things. But how do you build the rituals into a culture so that they exist? Uh, like to create room for that, because I think in most company cultures, to be frank, that's not how it is at all. Like at all, and so. What do you, how can you build that in? So I think with something like OKRs, you can build in like an OKR planning phase where everyone gets involved and has the chance to be collaborative and, you know, um, have their input. And then, you know, you can, you can really ritualize it so that folks feel like they have a voice. Or if you don't use OKRs, you don't want to use OKRs, you can find another way to do that. But I think it's committing to those rituals and really building them into the company culture, because otherwise it's just a kind of like, Hey, leave us the feedback about the town hall. And you know, that's not going to get you to where you want to go put it in the dusty box in the corner. Right. We'll, get to it. we'll read it. We'll read it next year. We'll read it. Next yeah. year. <laughs> All right, everybody. It is time for our next segment. It's called stand with the brand and you're either going to stand with the brand or take a seat, which both are totally fine. So up first is actually one of my favorite companies. Um, so On Running, they're a shoe company based in Switzerland. And they're actually teaming up with Lands Attack, which is a company that uses a combination of cutting edge genetic engineering, um, state-of-the-art artificial intel- intelligence, innovations in mechanical and chemical engineering, And they're actually manufacturing chemicals that is using a process that soaks up carbon over over emitting it. So they're actually taking carbon emissions 
to create shoes. Cool. It's so yeah. it's very, very cool. timely. Very timely. <laughs> you that. So yes, and this is a quote from the CEO of Lanza Tech, uh, Jennifer Holmgren. She said, we're showing the world what is possible when we rethink how we source, use, and dispose of carbon. She said, we're excited to be on this journey with On and Borealis to bend the carbon curve and keep our skies blue and create a sustainable future for all. Because all of us wear shoes every single day in a variety of different ways. And they do a four-step process for these clean cloud shoes. Um, So step one is carbon emissions. They get emitted from industrial sources that are captured by the lands of tech before they enter the atmosphere. And then step two, ethanol is formed. So a fermentation process that converts the emissions into liquid ethanol. So we went from before entered the atmosphere to this liquid form. Step three is EVA, they call it. So the ethanol is actually dehydrated and becomes an ethylene gas. And it's polymerized by Borealis to create EVA pellets. And the final step is a clean cloud. So those pellets are used by on to engineer high-performance foam. So all those foams that we see in the cushion of our shoes for the clean cloud running shoes. So after all that and that elaborate story, Lucy, do you stand with the brand or do you take a seat? I mean... Yes, like I want those <laughs> shoes. Like as you're talking, I'm like, I'm like, is it rude if I start over here googling how to purchase these? Um, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's incredible. I think, I mean, how could you not stand with that brand? So there's, I mean, they're they're using science to make shoes out of n- nothing, yes. out of like just stuff in the air. Yes, carbon emission. It, it like blows my mind. It kind of is. <laughs> Yes. It's just as progressive <laughs> yeah. and cool as you could get. What's their, yeah. are they, they're selling these shoes right now? They're in the process. This is their soft launch right now. So they're doing very well with their marketing campaign. And I have to say, I I already was looking up when I could order them. Are so they cool It's looking. coming very like, soon. Do the shoes look cool? Yes. Um, they do look cool. I mean, any of Ons running shoes. I own a couple pairs. We'll say about four ish. <laughs> uh, they're very comfortable, and you can do like streetwear or when you're running around, whether you're chasing your kiddo or on the trails. So they're beautiful. They're, yeah, yeah. They they do a very good job. So are yeah. you? Um, are they recyclable? They already actually have, so they had, they already did uh, a pair before this that were made out of, I think I want to say, I might be misquoting this, but beans, and they literally would compost and break down. So I literally think this is the new thing because I think about how many of us own, how many pairs of shoes, like we own all more than one right. pair of shoe. It's like we got summer, fall, spring, winter. You got a few pairs of shoes yeah. for each of those. So I'm excited to see how they perform and also what else they're going to do with it and other companies that are going to step up and come up with different ways to reuse items. Like, excited. Yeah. Will Out this of air. <laughs> yeah. Like, will this become the new normal where, you know, in a couple generations kids won't believe that we used to just make things and then like 
throw them away in the landfill. Right. And right. then, you know, um, I mean, because I think there's two things there. One is the, obviously, we're in a climate disaster and we need to do everything we can on a, you know, governmental and global level, but also in the consumer choices we make. Um, Absolutely. And then I think the other is like just just the sheer amount of stuff we have, you yes. know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I want. I'm signed me up. I'm, <laughs> I can, for sure. Maybe we can get on an early email list. I'd be. I'd be into it. Yeah. Send yeah. them the um, link to this so episode. And say they've been yeah. featured. <laughs> I. Maybe we'll. Maybe we could each get a pair. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Anything's possible. Um, so the second one, little segue shift to a different um, story involves Tim Hortons and Justin Bieber. So mm. they have teamed up for an ultimate collaboration. They're selling their own version of their iconic donut holes that we all know as Timbits, and they've cleverly named them Tim Biebs, which is genius marketing right there. <laughs> Uh, they've got some new flavors like birthday cake, waffle, chocolate white fudge, sour cream chocolate chip. I'm not, I personally don't know about that flavor yet, <laughs> but a little skeptical. Um, so historically, like Tim Hortons is very much involved with their birth country of Canada. And I've, I've liked them when I've been able to go. They, they have them up in Minnesota and a few other places. Um, but they wanted to team up with Justin Bieber because he's very involved with Canada. It's also his birthday, his birthplace. But he's they a have a 60 Canada, second commercial. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do say that actually. Uh, but they have a 60 second commercial that has Justin Bieber and Tim Hortons brainstorming the ideas. And then Justin Bieber at the end naturally comes up with the great idea of let's make Tim Biebs, I'll hand them out to everybody. Um, they're going to be available at select locations in the U.S. and Canada beginning on November 29th, if anybody is interested in trying these. But Lucy, based on this collaboration and what you know about Tim Hortons as a brand, do you stand with the brand or do you take a seat? I mean, the flavors sound amazing. So <laughs> yes. like that waffle situation. Yes, <laughs> sign me up for that. I mean, I think I stand with donuts in any form. I think I don't have Bieber fever like so many do. Um, like, I love his music. But as a public figure, find many things problematic. So I'm just, I'm just trying to be diplomatic in case, in Bieber, in case you, you listen to this. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. It's hard because on a flavor level, I would like to stand with the brand, but on a just like partnership level, I would like to take a seat. (laughs) What do you think, Nick? (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm usually with a partnership. I usually try to think like, oh, who, what's the persona that Bieber is trying to attract? And it feels like it's like a, they're like really trying to push for the youth to like like Tim Horton. Maybe 
maybe this is just from a person that hasn't grown up where Tim Horton are a regular occurrence, but the name sounds kind of dated. Tim Horton sounds like old Papa Tim Horton. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't. Oh my God. <laughs> it does. It's not you a name. You watch out because Canadians are coming for you. Oh, yeah, that's Nick. fine. That's fine. I'm, I preface that by saying I just don't, you know, that's not a, uh, place that oh I go a lot gosh. or I've seen many times. So I that's just first impression. Tim Horton, you know, it sounds like, hey, Tim Horton, I'll see you at the corner. <laughs> and we'll talk about, you know, sunsets and stuff. Um, so maybe Bieber, in a, yeah. in a sense, is bringing a youth <laughs> to Tim Horton, you know, like Tim Biebs. Obviously, <laughs> it's very catchy. I do like Tim Biebs. That's kind of funny. But I I'm don't just, know. There's also okay. part of me that's like, why What's, is Justin yeah. Bieber doing this? Does he love, like, I so many times when celebrities endorse products, I'm like, why? What, is it just money? Or it, does, yeah. it feels like a person like that has no need for money. So it has to be some sort of, you know, I love them. Like, I love this company. Maybe I want to help them. I don't know. Yeah. I think he likes their uh, Timbits, but now it's Tim Biebs. The only flavor I have an issue with is the sour cream chocolate chip. I'm not, I'm not sold on it. And I think I would have to try it. Yeah. Sounds very Just like I have never, yeah, I've never used sour cream in a cookie recipe, I guess. Or maybe I have and I just didn't pay attention to my grandma, but that's the only one. <laughs> I'm a little hesitant. I agree with you guys though. It's, it is for, there's probably going to be a bunch of, tiktokers and all of that commenting on this which i'm like okay i can get down with that but otherwise i don't have beeper fever either i just have to admit it as well that's what they want you know yeah they they want just there to be some organic activations from this i think oh yeah probably where you know some kids like review them on tiktok or whatever yes. right, like, right, right. something funny happen and they're just kind of like providing the fertile ground for that to to happen i think it's interesting mcdonald's has done some things like this like they did they do those yes. like special meals mm-hmm. like i think they did one they did one with saweetie with the rapper saweetie and then they did one with a couple other artists and so, you know, it's like not like McDonald's needs more like brand recognition or something like they don't need to associate themselves with one of these stars to so that we buy more McDonald's. I think it's more like. Uh, it's more like connecting to the youth. Yeah. And. Yeah. Sprinkling right. in some excitement there you know yeah <laughs> i've never said something that made me sound more old by the way <laughs> yeah, youth and excitement i get it the youth it's like they sprinkle some excitement on there donut you know? holes yeah justin bieber yeah. although i wonder i bet like i'd be interested to know for the mcdonald's activations that they did with the um the partnerships they did with those stars I bet there was an uptick in sales too, you know, like I bet oh, yeah. that some people are such diehard enough fans of certain artists that they're like, not even regular McDonald's customers, but are like, Hey, I want to support. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like it I could can, be I like, can see that. 
like a college party night thing. Like we got a bunch of Bieber bits or what are they got? Tim Biebs. Tim Biebs. <laughs> Bieber bit. Robot. I oh my think God. that's going to happen actually. Oh, probably. Yeah. There's going to be a review. They're just going to review it and rate it. It's like the one bite, one bite. Everybody knows the rules. You got to try it and see. Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it did say select stores, which makes me think they're not very confident. I know. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> <on> that. <laughs> or maybe Who they knows? use locally sourced ingredients and it's only where those ingredients are readily available. Oh, that is, <laughs> yeah. that's a hot take. I, that's, could, okay. I think probably unlikely. Right. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> we grew this wheat in the field across from the road. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, we are nearing... The end. This has been lovely. Uh, Lucy, to yeah. sort of end each episode, we ask three sort of broad, open-ended questions, more about you uh, and your perspective than anything. Um, and the first one is, what have you done recently for the very first time? Not to keep beating on this drum, but had a baby. That was a big one. <laughs> yeah, that's huge. Um, um, and it might be the same answer, but if, if you were invited to a show and tell right now, uh, what comes to mind as something that you would bring? Show me the baby. Um, <laughs> TikTok thing, by the way, for those of you who are into that kind of thing. See, I'm cool. I still got it. Um, I, I would either bring my baby, my dog, or I recently, um, bought my first very fancy purse. Ooh, I bought oh, a Gucci wow. purse. Nice. Wow. Pretty penny. I love but it. It's like my pride and joy. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I'd bring that probably and just walk you through the very limited and boring features that, that I love. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love it. You could, you know, pick which one of those to bring depending on the audience. If you did a little bit of research or just did a little bit of on my persona. And then come on correct. On my persona. Uh, yeah. And the last question, uh, if there was one piece of advice that you were to give to a younger version of you, like say uh, right out of college or even before that, if you feel, or just as a younger person in the world of creatives and content writing, um, what do you think that piece of advice would be? That's a great question. There's this line from a national song. Um, Brooklyn band, by the way. And Yeah. Oh my God. So my favorite band. And it's like, all we have to do is be brave and be kind. And I think that I would just say that to my younger self, like it will be okay. You know, there will be really hard times, but if you're brave and you're kind, you it will be okay. It will be okay. And also do more yoga, I would say. Do more <laughs> yoga. Yoga is the answer. Yes. Do yoga. Zen yourself. Yeah, that's fantastic. That. Huge fan of the National. When I lived in New York, that was a band that I listened to more than most. Um, They're a great New York band. So like good. they, I feel like their music captures the energy of the city. Yeah. Like... It both like catches the kind of frenetic energy of the city, but also soothes you in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. I mean, his voice yeah. is very soothing. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you. Uh, that's all we got. Um, 
Yeah. Thank you so Thanks, much for Stacey. being a part it's of it awesome. today. This has been really great. Thank you for having me. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast, where we like to say, strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective. 